For the past uh, number of weeks, we've been um, talking about the Ready for More campaign, but we've been getting at that by talking about what is, what is a biblically defined worthy life look like? What does a great life look like? What are the characteristics? And, and we've been noting how it's really um, fairly simple things. Not easy, but simple things. Faith, um, commitment, service. And tonight we're going to look at another aspect that the Scripture maps out, another contour of a worthy, excellent life, and that is... Um, a word called sacrifice. And I think this past week has sort of prepared us for a message like this. Because uh, yesterday, we as a country, and many countries around the world, set aside a day, a time, in which we might remember. We might remember um, the costs of so many wars. We pinned poppies on ourselves. We took time to to observe silence and to remember and, and picture and sometimes hear the names of people who gave their lives. And I don't know where you are on the spectrum. Some of you might believe that uh, I have convictions, you know, about absenting yourself from any war, or you might have convictions about what's a legitimate participation in a just war. Wherever you are, I think we could all agree on the word that could describe the lives of people who we remember is sacrifice. They have offered such a sacrifice. I remember yesterday just thinking about um, all the people during this period of silence, and I would read stories in the Global Mail about some of these people who lived and served during the war and, and, and who died during the wars and thinking about all that they gave up, all the, all the potential careers that were let go of, all the marriages that didn't happen, the families that never came into being, all the hopes and dreams that were relinquished, given up, they sacrifice something so valuable, but for something bigger than themselves, for you, for me. When you sacrifice something, what you're doing is you're giving up something good, something you value, but you're giving that up for something that you deem is of greater value. You're giving up something good, but you're giving it up you're letting it go, you're relinquishing it for the sake of something bigger, something greater. A Christian life is one that is built and lived when we understand this essence of sacrifice. It's something um, every parent knows. Who's a parent here? Not too many of us. One, two. All right, a few of us. Okay, so let's school the rest of you, okay, on being parents. Um, when you, you're a parent, you're sort of entered into the school of sacrifice. Um, children are born in an absolute, utter state of dependency, right? A child is born and they are completely dependent on their parents for everything, for food, for sleep, for comfort. And they don't quickly outgrow that. Um, it takes a long time for them to outgrow that. But the only way children are going to grow up and flourish and grow to become independent, um, self-sufficient people is when 
that parent essentially abandons themselves to their child, abandons their own sense of independence for 20 years or so until parents sacrifice so much of their freedom, a whole lot of their time for the sake of their child, that child will not grow up healthy and strong and equipped to function. When my wife Betty and I, when we started our family, um, we learned a lot of new ways in which we were called to sacrifice. Um, we, we, we sort of mark out our lives B.C. and A.C., before children and after children. <laughs> my life B.C., one of my favorite things to do was on a Saturday morning to, to just sleep in, but not too long, because I, I, I wanted to get up you know, mid-morning, and I would brew just an outrageously deep, dark, strong cup of coffee, and I'd go into the living room and take the Saturday Globe and Mail and just lounge and leisurely read the newspaper, uninterrupted. Ah, oh, my life is AC, and that doesn't happen any longer, I tell you. <laughs> Their Saturday mornings are so very different. They're not leisurely. There's no lounging, and there's hardly an uninterrupted moment at all. One, one friend, as I was relating this, said, yeah, those are, those are the happy deaths parents experience. Um, happy deaths. I thought that was a good thing. As a parent, you go through all sorts of happy deaths. You give up things that you once cherished, knew, and loved, like a quiet meal at a good restaurant or, you know, heading out with friends at the drop of a hat. Um, you sacrifice these things. In a real way, sacrifice is a little like dying to yourself. And we all experience this in different ways. I gave you the parent perspective. Every one of us sacrifices in some way. Um, and what you're doing for the Christian is you're taking the hands off of your life. You're, you're saying, this isn't my life fully. You allow yourself to die to something of yourself for the sake of something bigger, better. We're ending, we're near the end of this Ready for More campaign. We're going to talk about it for a couple more weeks. After that, you're not going to hear about it, okay? But I hope, I hope it's been good for you. And as we near the end, we're, and today specifically, we're going to be challenged with this notion of sacrifice, which really is the essence of Christian living. And to help us explore this, I want to look at two passages, and it's not the passage written in your bulletin. We're going to look at Romans 12 real quickly, and then we're going to look at an Old Testament passage which helps us understand how sacrifice plays out in, in terms of sacrificial living and giving. It's second, I'm first Chronicles, not second Chronicles, like it's listed in our bulletin. But let's look first at Romans 12 up here. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, your whole selves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12 starts with this lovely word, therefore, 
Therefore, it's part of a long argument that the Apostle Paul has been making. So he's saying from chapters 1 through 11, I've been telling you, it, it provides this incomparable survey of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's all about God and sin and salvation and the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, if you believe all that I've just told you in these previous 11 chapters, if you understand it, if you believe that, what I've told you about Christian faith, then therefore you will live like this. You will offer your life as a living sacrifice. Now think of that phrase, a living sacrifice. That's sort of a crazy phrase, right? Because you think a sacrifice and you think it's bloody, it's dead, right? A living sacrifice. Paul is intentionally, he's deliberately paradoxical here with this phrase. We're not called to bloody ourselves as a sacrifice. Our lives don't atone for any sins. However, something does die in what he's talking about. You're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have a right to live as you choose. This is part of this living sacrifice. What it means to, to live a Christian life is that you put to death the right to live life as you choose. You put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. You put that to death and you give it to God. And you know that to say that, that feels like death, doesn't that? To say that, to say to God, God, you know best and, and I trust you. I hear what you're saying in your word, but mm, I don't get it sometimes and actually I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust that's hard. It feels like death. But on the other side is life, which is what Paul's talking about, this living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that leads to life. And he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is worship. Our act of worship is no longer bringing to God a sacrifice. You know, we don't have barbecue pits where we all bring our goats and lambs and other things like that. No, our act of worship now is living sacrifices, sacrificial living. It is saying, Paul is saying here, give yourself, sacrifice yourself. Lay yourself out for God. Make him the one thing you live for. Live sacrificially for God because, here's the truth, you're sacrificing yourself for something anyway. Everyone lives their life for something. Everyone will sacrifice their life for something. And whatever you're sacrificing your life for, you're in service to it. And it will probably cost you. For some people, their career is one of the most important things in their life. And they make sacrifices for their careers, social lives, money, family. I once heard someone say, you know, in the Old Testament or in more primitive cultures, you heard, you heard of child sacrifices, and you think, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. He says, no, it happens all the time, actually. It still happens regularly. He says, you go to Bay Street, um, you go to look at some of the, the law offices, and there are people so committed to their careers, they have sacrificed their families on their career. Um, that's hard words, but it's true. It still happens. You are going to have to sacrifice your life for something. 
You're going to have to give your life in exchange for something. And anything else that you offer your life for, it will consume you. But offer your life as a living sacrifice to God and you get life back. And, and we read here that the Christian does this from, from a, a, a beautiful inner motivation, from an inner joy or compulsion. It is not forced. It is not this begrudging external thing that's pressed down on you. Paul says here, I urge you. Now, it's interesting. That is not a command. Paul could have said, I command you. Because what he's saying here is it's, it's, it's you, what you would expect. God offers sacrifices himself for us. You would think God is like... Okay, payback time. God is like the eternal loan shark, right? I've made a payment for you. It is payback time, folks. But no, Paul says, I urge you. I urge you. And then he says, in view of God's mercy. The word view, it's not an intellectual head thing. It's a heart word. Paul's saying, look look at the mercies of God that he has displayed for you in Jesus Christ. Let your heart be moved by that infinite kindness and mercy. If you see those mercies, he's saying, you will offer your life. And again, offer. Think of that. It is a voluntary thing. It is not you will be coerced, you will be forced. No, no, no. You will willingly offer. Nothing in the life of grace is coerced. And you'd be led to do this, to offer your life as a sacrifice to God because it is the only reasonable response. Some translations of Romans 12 read this way. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifice for this is your reasonable worship. Interesting. Earlier translation was true and proper worship. Now it says reasonable worship. The Greek word there is a word we, where we get our word logical from. Um, and it actually means rational. It makes sense. This is your worship that makes sense of what God has done. To sacrifice, to take the hands off of your life, to give yourself utterly for the one who has given himself for you. It is the only reasonable way to respond. To not do that would be a violation of the moral sensibilities of this world. It, it would be like the crucifixion of your intelligence to not do that. And so Paul says, take a long look at Jesus. Do you see the infinite kindness of God in Christ, in the cross? Do you see the sacrificial love of God? Take a moment right now, would you? If you've got to close your eyes, do that. Take a moment just to try to soak in this wonder, maybe even to visualize it, how the God of the universe has entered this world, the creator of all things, has come to us in Jesus Christ, and he gave his life, he sacrificed it all for you, for you. This is the wonder and so we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. But how do we do that? Where do we go to school to live sacrificially? And to help us catch a feel for how this plays out, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage from 1 Chronicles. Um, and in this passage, it's a fascinating passage. It's about the building of a temple. So we're in a renovation um, stage, and so it's sort of appropriate for us. But in this, um, David wants to build God a temple. 
So the Israelite people, their place of worship was sort of this frumpy, dumpy tent, the tabernacle. David's thinking, come on, it is time. Permanent facilities here. We're going to build you a temple, God. And God says to David, no, not you. Your son, Solomon, he's going to do it. And, and then look at verse 9 with what David says to his son, Solomon. And you, my son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Two key words there, key words to, to learn to live your life as a living sacrifice. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Wholehearted devotion. Come, it's, 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 it's a devoted life, not a divided one. Completely devoted to God, carrying out his will in your life. And then secondly, this, this willing mind, a willing heart that says to God, God, I am willing. I am willing to serve. I am willing to humble myself. I am willing to obey, even move towards sacrificial living, but I need your help, God. Because moving towards sacrificial living doesn't come easy. And so God says, I will help you if you're willing, if there's a willing heart. Those two words are critical to a life of sacrifice. The sacrifice, again, remember, it's a voluntary thing. Grace doesn't force you to do this at all. It is, not, it is the product of a devoted heart and a willing heart, moved by God's mercy. And the thing is, God knows our hearts. This is, a sacrificial living is at core a heart issue. God understands every motive, all the thoughts of our hearts, all of life is lived before the face of God. The issues of our life are wide open to God. And so the, our first issue always in life is, is the openness of our heart, the willingness of our heart before God. Are we willing? Are we wholeheartedly available and open, saying yes to God? This is what he's seeking in his son Solomon. And then um, David challenges, actually, the people of Israel in the next section to work with and walk with Solomon in the building of the temple. And again, two key words that emerge, wholehearted devotion and willingness. Amazing. All, it just runs through these chapters. And then in chapter 29, David addresses the whole assembly of people. And it says, King David said to a whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young, he's inexperienced. Cut him some slack, people. Okay, but the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for gold work, silver for silver, bronze for bronze, iron for iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stone and marble, all these in large quantities. David, the king, is sort of opening up the storehouses of the government. Okay, I am releasing all the government funds available for this temple which is great, that's nice, but governments do that all the time, don't they? It's easy for our prime minister to say, sure, let's fund this or do that. Where's the personal stake in it? That's where we get to verse 3. All of a sudden it gets personal. Listen to David again. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. One commentator says about this verse, David literally takes his pockets, 
turns them outside and empties them. He's releasing his RRSPs, his investments, his savings, his trust. He's releasing it all to God, and he says, God, it's yours. That's some sacrificial giving. And then look at verse 5. Significant verse. Next slide. He then, after he does that, turns his pockets out. He turns to everyone else, and he says, now, how about you? Who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Now, I've done it. Who else? Who's next? Who's willing to give themselves fully, sacrificially to God today? That's a question for all of us today, for every one of us here. We are invited on this faith journey at this church. We are invited to sacrifice. Only for willing, though. Only if we're willing. Well, David's led the way. And now the rest of the leaders of uh, the nation of Israel follow in his footsteps and lead out. Leaders need to lead. And the best leading from God's leaders is that they live it out. They practice it. And so leaders model, and then they invite God's people to do the same. And look at verse 6 here. Then the leaders of families, the officers, the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. So in response to David, their leader, then all the rest of the people uh, of the leaders, they give. And they give willingly again, willingly. It keeps coming through. And then look at the response. Look at verse 9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders and for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Again, those key words coming through. And that's the challenge for the leaders of our church um, during this Ready for More campaign. And our elders, our session elders, our trustees, our pastoral staff, the challenge for them is lead out and do it willingly and do it wholeheartedly. And you, I got to tell you, you should be glad about leaders here at Knox Because I have seen how sacrificially they do that, how willingly and gladly and wholeheartedly they continue to lead out. And I've actually met with all the leaders at all the different levels of our church leadership, and I've said to them, hey, during this campaign, we're going to ask our congregation to do some challenging things. We're going to challenge them to give sacrificially and to live sacrificially. But I said to all our leaders, here's the thing about leadership. Before we ask our people to do something, we got to go first. And everyone said, that's right. That's right. That fits. And you should know that the leaders of Knox are now in the process of just completing their reflections, their prayers, their commitments to their giving to this campaign. And they're going to be going first. I hope that causes you to rejoice. We got good, godly leaders here at Knox. Well, after the leaders give and the people are rejoicing, David is just overwhelmed at what is going on, at what God is doing and releasing. And look at verse 10 to 13. David just prays. He prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. David's not focusing on the leaders and saying, look at these really fine people. Model them. No, his heart is turned to God and saying, God, you are the giver of every good thing, and he praises God. This is where all of our life together is focused, where sacrificial living is aimed. And I love how David talks about this, how there, there's the sense of, like, nothing is mine, actually, God. It is all yours. There is such the, a healthy perspective and awareness. He understands God has entrusted into his hands so much goodness, but it is God's. It is God's riches and wealth and splendor, and he does what he can so that God is honored through it. Because Here's the, here's the amazing thing. God entrusts people. God entrusts you and I with many good things. And he's, he's willing to limit himself to the way we would release those things that he have, has gifted us for, for his honor. God is willing to partner with us. He's willing to take sort of that kind of risk because we could keep it to ourselves. But he's willing to take that kind of risk. The risk that we might keep it to ourselves rather than saying, God, you have entrusted us with everything and it is a privilege, God, to partner with you in extending your kingdom. I think that is a remarkable thing God does. And David recognizes and praises God for it. Again, he's not praising the leaders. He praises God for it. And then he asks this marvelous question in verse 14. I love this. But who am I? And who are we, my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? When have you ever asked that question of yourself? Oh my goodness, who am I that I'm able to give so generously? It's an amazing thing, the ability for us to give ourselves, to live sacrificially. It's a gift from God. It's a gift, friends. And this is so crucial for us as we move forward as a community that we do this with a sacrificial mind, understanding that that is a gifted way of living, understanding that God has gifted us in profound ways and that our call is to turn that around and release it for God's glory. And, you know, we have a really good track record as a church of seeing that sort of sacrificial living. Can I tell you a few stories of how that has taken shape um, in this church's life? Sacrificial living, this act of spiritual worship, it has happened here at Knox. This church has been built on the sacrifices of many people. Very early on, in probably the first days of this church's life, this church is over 200, well, almost 200 years old now, there was a gentleman named Jesse Ketchum. Jesse sacrificially gave this, this church a gift. It was a potato field. You think a potato field? Hey, you know what? 200 years ago, any real estate, that was some big ticket item as it is still today. He gave away this field. It was a huge sacrificial gift he gave. And you know what? We are still blessed by that gift today. That sacrificial gift 
has been giving for 200 years. Because you know where that potato field is? That's at Queen Street. And we still own a little piece of the Hudson's Bay property. Um, that Yeah, this church does. And we receive an annual stipend that allows this church to do what we could never do otherwise. And we're able to have that because of the sacrificial giving of someone. Imagine that. You are a beneficiary right now of that sacrificial living of someone. There's another person. And I forget his name right now. He was an elder at Knox Church, one of the leaders of the church. And he started something called the Baraka Club. It was something in town, and it was a place where kids from Toronto, maybe kids who were on the edges, could come and they could find a safe place to hang out, to play. Eventually, it got developed in such a way, and this church came around that vision um, that there was a pool built, they had a gym, they had a bowling alley. How about that? Yeah, eventually, we lost the property because U of T expropriated it. Thank you, U of T. But we took the funds from that expropriation and we built something on site. And you're sitting in it right now. You're sitting in the gym that was built and there's a bowling alley underneath here. Um, because of someone's sacrificial living, someone's sacrificial gift, we get to experience this right now. I think of another couple in our church, Bill and Vicki Wood. Maybe you've heard their names. Bill and Vicki Wood were the pioneers behind the Knox Youth Dinner and Food Bank, and, and they gave themselves sacrificially for that um, in profound ways. Bill would often take a day off of work so that he could go around town and collect food for the food bank and take care of other things. These, this is part of our history here as a church. Those living sacrifices are not just spiritually elite either. This is normal for Christians. This is the way God calls us to live. As people see this vision of God's church and want to participate in that mission, amazing things happen. Um, the church is built on that sort of living sacrifice. And it, when it boils down, it is about our hearts. Look at verse 17. I know, God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things, says David, I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people here have given to you. And notice the prayer that follows this here in verse 18, the next verse. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in our hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. Oh, that is our prayer. God, would you keep that desire for sacrificial living, for willing, wholehearted devotion. God, keep that in our hearts forever. In this church, we're praying, God, keep it strong here. Our emphasis on building this life of sacrifice, it's not about building a temple about a renovated sanctuary. It is about saying, God, I am wholeheartedly yours. I am committed to you today. It is about building this ongoing desire to selflessly give ourselves a heart that is fully surrendered to God. 
Well, in Chronicles, that temple got built. Solomon built that temple. Took about 150,000 people. Took millions of dollars. Took 20 years to build that thing. All for a temple. We come to the New Testament, and God does an interesting thing. God says, you know what? I'm going to build a temple. So that old temple, that was destroyed. God says, I'm going to build a new temple. And the temple I'm going to build, it's going to cost a little more. And it cost God his son. The sacrifice of his one and only son. God paid that price. And the temple God built is his church. It is people. It is you and I. The building isn't the temple. It's the people of God involved in the mission of God. As we've said repeatedly throughout, you know what? We're not just renovating a sanctuary. We, we are praying for God to renovate and renew a people, his people here at Knox, so that we fully are immersed in his mission, so that we are living sacrifices to God, God's people on God's mission. And I want to be part of that. I, I will commit myself to that for us together to step out in faith, to sacrifice. And we're asking you for you to pray and ask, God, how are you calling me to be part of this? This is what this whole Ready for More campaign is about. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom, God's kingdom life of faith, of full devotion, of surface, of, of sacrificial living. That's the journey we want to invite you on. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us this. It, it probably feels like a challenge, but it's a beautiful invitation from you, God. We do honestly note it, it feels like a huge challenge that you've given to us. And so we pray, God, help us to do this, to be living sacrifices. Make us a church, God, that is filled with people who do this, who live this. Because what a life-giving place this will be. God, keep our eyes focused on your mercy. We thank you so much for sending us your son, Jesus, who offered himself up for us so that we can offer ourselves utterly, completely for him. God, we're overwhelmed with your goodness, with your love. To think, God, that you would love us so much, you, the creator of the universe, that you would, you would give up your life for something that you deemed of greater value, our love our hearts. That is stunning, God. And, and when we think of anything that we could give in comparison, it feels so small, and yet the, the, the wonder of it is you consider it so significant. That's amazing, God. And so we are here tonight saying, God, here is my willing heart. Maybe that is the sacrifice that we offer to you tonight. God, here is my heart. I am willing. We're willing, God. Maybe for some of us, we might find in our hearts that we're not willing. And so our prayer, God, is tonight is would you make us by your spirit to be made willing? Because, God, the truth is we even need you to do that. We can't muster up the willingness on our own. We need you 
to do that through your spirit. And so, God, for the willingness that is in our hearts, for the willingness that you will work in us through your spirit, we give you thanks. For all that you've entrusted to us, God, we give you thanks. For all the people that are part of this beautiful community, God, for all the generations that are yet to come to serve you, we thank you. Let your will be done among us. In the name of Jesus, our sacrificial Savior, we pray. Amen.